little nephews, nieces, and non-binary nibblings is Uncle Cardboard, aka Jake Brown, aka your favorite uncle. This is Local Cardboard's Limited Jamboree, the show that makes no sense unless you've been binge-watching a Beatles documentary, and even then, not that much sense. Uh, we're going to do Five Up, Five Down today. Uh, this has been a really big week for Limited. We've done the MIQ. I hope you won your 50 straight draft games or whatever it took to get your invite. If you just did the decathlon, I hope that you threw a javelin through the heart of all of your enemies and got that sweet, sweet token. Uh, and hopefully no packs, maybe a sleeve. I'm still not sure how the prizes work. Today, we are joined by a very special guest. You know, this is one of my all-time favorite streams to watch. Was my number one watch streamer, according to my Twitch data replay. I think he's one of the funniest guys in Magic, but also somebody that I wanted to include in the Open Draft Project because doesn't buy into the hype, is out there playing the real games, is doing the work, and I think has a really interesting approach to the game, which is, hey, actually play the cards, see what happens. So it is my honor to welcome Semulan. What's up? Hey, what's up, man? That's quite the intro. I hope I can live up to that hype. <laughs> Listen, you've already lived up to the hype. If anybody's watching this on YouTube, you're hanging out with uh, two grown men in onesies, cats versus dogs here today, and we're having a good time. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I, this is just normally how I hang out. So like, it's all good. I see. Now, I haven't taken this out in a while. Um, I, I'm a little dusty. I hope you no judgment, but so where do you fall on data generally? Are you data agnostic? Are you checking it? Do, are you one of those people that uh, is shaking their fist at clouds? <laughs> where do you fall? I usually lean more to shaking my fist at clouds than anything <laughs> else. But realistically, I think that the data is good. I think that the data is worth paying attention to. I think that people can really warp it if they pay attention to it and don't use it the right way. And that's my biggest concern with it. So I'll have folks come into chat sometime with, you can't play this card, 17 land says it's unplayable. And I'm like, <laughs> you need to understand the circumstances that lead to that decision. So I, I would say I'm in favor of data. I'm just really nervous about people interpreting it for themselves. So something like this, where you're kind of going through and saying, hey, here's the data, here's a way to look at it, incredibly useful. Well, and that's why I'm really glad that you can come on because it also bring, it provides some context, right? I think it's really easy to see a number on a website and freak out. And we'll cover a couple of those today. And then there's also the flip side where you're like, well, contextually, this doesn't make any sense. But if we're seeing it week over week over week, at least there is a trend there and we can start to look at it. Now, is there a card specifically from Vow that stood out to you as something where you're like, I think the, the data is wrong on this or a card where you're like, oh, I, I think this is way better, better or worse, I guess. A big one for me initially was the traveling minister. I, I, I argued with the data and I railed with the data that the card wasn't as good as people said it was. And it actually was. The card's just fine. <laughs> it goes in just about every deck. I still think people are insane for suggesting that you pick it first, second or third. Like that's just clinically insane. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> but it's pretty reasonable to pick it fourth or after and play the darn thing. It's it, it's pretty darn good. I also see a lot of people critique a lot of the cards in the Simic deck, and I don't think they're that bad. I think people just don't know what they're supposed to do with them. I'm kind of the champion of blue-green in the format. I've really enjoyed the deck and played it a lot, and I'm playing a deck that has no cards in it that have over a 50% win rate and yet still getting the three O's. So that would lead me to believe that people just don't understand what they're supposed to do with the card. So in that case, the data is not really as useful. 
Okay, and I definitely tossed in some Simic-specific cards in here because I wanted to get your reaction. But before we get into that, let's do really quick the meta update. All right, so uh, really quick, Rakdos reclaims the number one spot with a 57.9% win rate. I think everybody stopped duking it out over Rakdos for at least enough time for it to catch its breath. Uh, Azorius drops to number two with a 57.5% win rate. And then you have Izzet and Orzov kind of rounding out tier one. Orzov in particular had a great week. I think that's not really surprising to me. I feel like this was an archetype that was pretty straightforward. Are you seeing anything dramatically different or trying anything different? Or are you kind of just chugging along with what you've been doing there? I've been chugging along for the most part, but Orzov is one that jumps out to me specifically as an interesting one. Because in, in this format, it seemed like the allied color pairs were really easy to draft. The enemy color pairs were a little bit difficult, except for Orzov. Like that right. one just has so much stapled on common that you're good to go. So it's kind of like the allied color pairs plus Orzov are the six decks that are kind of the easiest to get going. And then the leftover enemies are the ones that are a little more difficult. Yeah. And so the rest of the more difficult, we have Gruel, which was half percent away from Simic, but was drafted almost 300% more. I think that there's still this like legacy brain uh, or, or like memory block of people where they were like, oh, we were used to Gruel being so bad in Midnight Hunt. And then it was okay when we got into Vow. And I feel like maybe people are just forcing it too much. Um, but it, it definitely looks like Gruel is trending in the wrong direction after everybody was really excited about it in this set. Where are you at on Gruel over broadly? I mean, I'm going to try to draft what's open regardless of what's sure. going on. But if, <laughs> if I get a couple good red removal spells and then see a wolf strike, I'm in Gruel. And the the child of uh, the pack, I love that card. Like that's the thing that puts me into Gruel far more often than anything else is just getting past one of those. Yeah, it's something legitimate to do with your mana too while you know being able to go day to night where I, I was really missing that last set. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, hey, speaking of five up, let's get to it. These are our five kind of cards that I cherry picked from the data that I was really interested in. And number five in Demir, we have pointed discussion. So this is up for its fifth consecutive week, and it was the third best Demir common at a 57.7 game in hand win rate. And just really quick, if this is your first time on the show, uh, listening to the show, we're going to be talking about game in hand win rate, uh, according to 17lands.com. Uh, Premier draft data. Okay, I think that was all correct. And so basically, it's just how often do you win if you ever draw this card or it's in your opening hand? Um, so here we have point of discussion. It is on a meteoric rise. And we're also noting that Blood Craze Socialite is a card that continues to go up in Demir as well. But you're not seeing big clusters of blood synergy, for example. You're not seeing these decks that are really trying to get all in on um, Guest, where do you find the role of blood right now in Demir? I mean, I've been happy with as much blood as I could get in any <laughs> deck that I can get it into. And I've ranted on the stream that I wish training just didn't exist. And there were vampires in green and white and we had blood tokens there too. Because like, it's it's just great. It does not surprise me to see this card rising. I found myself playing it more often, and it so often is just three mana draw three, take a little bit of damage, who cares? And it's like, how could that not be good? Now, <laughs> you do have to balance, like you can't just have a deck full of raw card draw spells and expect to actually win anything. However, this is a really good card for raw card draw. So it, it 
it's better card draw than anything blue gets at common. So if you want card draw in your Demir deck, this is where you're getting it. Yeah, and I think that when we initially had looked at what blue was going to do in terms of disturb, I wasn't that excited. I thought that we would be able to get a ton of value off of ditching a random disturb or a creature to a blood token. And I, I don't know. I, I haven't found the Geist as a card that I was as excited about. Um, did you? Where are you getting this third card from a lot of times? Are you just ditching a land that you don't need or is it something else? Yeah, the normal play pattern that I have with this is I'm not really looking to cast it out on turn three, uh, but the games yeah. are going long enough that even if I do and I have to do that to find my next land drop or something, the token can just sit there for a while until I've got my six lands. So that's most of what I'm doing with it. Uh, but the three one nice. Geist is a decent one to discard. Um, discarding a Lantern Bearer if I happen to top deck it a little later is pretty neat. And then maybe put that on a three two and build a threat. Uh, so I've, I've been pretty consistently able to find the third card out of this. Nice. Yeah, I think point of discussion, just a card that we're seeing go a couple picks too late usually. So um, I, I feel like it plays really well in Demir. I feel like it plays really well if uh, you're in Orzov. So just keep it on your radar. If you're seeing one uh, kind of mid-pack, I think that's a great opportunity to get in there. Next, number four in Gruel, we're seeing Ancestral Anger making a comeback. So this was a card that peaked uh, in this archetype in week two with a 56.5% win rate. Then it came back down to earth, but has been steadily climbing back up. Conversely, we're seeing Kessig Flame Breather drop over that same period, pretty much at an exact, uh, at the same clip. Are you comfortable running Ancestral Angers as a package with no other synergy, just jamming a few Angers in there? And what's your minimum number of Angers that you would want to play in Gruel? Or is this the data just giving us a little bit of noise? I've never put Ancestral Anger in a deck. <laughs> I've played about 100 games of Crimson Vow. I love the format. I've drafted Green Red a ton. I've had great Green Red decks. None of them have had an Ancestral Anger package. I know there's a Christmas Spells deck. There certainly was in the last one, and people have fun with it, where they're like, I'm going to be Green Red. I'm going to cast all the spells. I just, I love doing it with a little bit of card draw and a little sure. bit of, of damage and that sort of thing. I just, this is not the way for me. So I, I imagine that as we're seeing, you know, Gruel fall to the bottom be drafted 300% more than Simic and like, sure, there's going to be some outliers, but somebody got, you know, five copies of this and you can steal a win with a card like this, but I yep. don't think you can build something consistent. Um, so I, I, I'm kind of out on Ancestral Anger, but if this is your jam, by all means, have a good time. Yeah, I don't think like at the point where you're jamming a bunch of Ancestral Angers and like sheltering bows to get your card draw off, like... But you know, this is actually the answer to this. There was a particular snow-covered mountain in Kaldheim that had a 0.3% uh, higher win rate than a different snow-covered mountain in Kaldheim. And I think that's the type of blip in the data we're seeing here. Fair, 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 fair. I, yeah, especially when I see things that are peaking dramatically, dropping, peaking again. I had just something I wanted to note, and we'll, uh, we'll continue to keep an eye on it here at the Limited Jamboree. Uh, next up... Number three in Is It is Belligerent Guest. And so I almost talked about Scattered Thoughts this week because it's riding a four-week high, but I think everybody's just playing Scattered Thoughts. So instead, let's chat about The Guest, uh, which is a card I never really think about something that I need in Is It, but it's also riding a four-week high and has planted itself right around creatures like Cruel Witness and Blood Petal Celebrant. 
are you buying Gaston? Is it? Does it matter? Is there a three drop that you are forsaking? It, what's? Is it the blood? Is it just the blood? It's the power of the blood, man. It's yes. just so good. <laughs> I love putting lantern, uh, lantern uplift, whatever the the backside of the lantern geist is on these things, and just clocking in for four, stacking up the blood tokens. Because like, who, eventually, I'm going to hit land six or seven, and I'm kind of sure. done. And is it? And just being able to cash all that in and just keep the value going. This is my favorite target to jump. Uh, it you trades try. off well. It it can attack in well. Like. I love this guest. So this does not surprise me to see this rising. And is it? I think it's just really good in every red deck. Well, and that makes a ton of sense too, because a lot of ways that people kind of deal with your flying threats in this format is trying to chump them, throw a spirit token in front of it. And here you're just heading right on over and generating more blood at while you're at it. That sounds like a great deal to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's really good. Well, and you're generating the blood that you need to ditch, you know, a bearer into your yard, trade it in for a card and still get that backside value. Uh-huh. Yeah, this is a really good card. I'm very into that. Okay, well, so I guess the only three drop that's really been falling in is it is like Fearful Villager. It's, I think, writing a four-week low now. So maybe downgrade your Villager a little, upgrade your guest if people have a pick order at home yeah i would definitely be picking the guest way higher than the villager i have been the whole time and i've been very happy with it i like that all right uh next up number two on our up list is in ancestral anger and we'll just say slash kessig flame breather we talked uh, just a moment ago about how rakdos has retaken that top spot but it coincides with these two cards posting their best rankings of the format in this archetype so if you had your choice right now, you're, you've got whichever Rakdos deck you want to conjure if we're using alchemy terms. I think that's something people say in alchemy. Would you be taking Rakdos spells or Rakdos vampires? It depends on what we're doing. If okay. I'm on a premier draft, <laughs> well, I, I, I want to win in both places. Okay. But like, I think this is actually something to bear in mind as you're playing. If I'm in a premier draft and I need to be ranked mythic number one to show off, then I probably want the spells deck. And if I'm doing traditional drafts and I just want to win and farm some gems, I want the vampires deck. And the, the reasoning for that is in premier draft, because there's matchmaking, they're eventually going to force me to something close to a 50% win percentage. And at that point, I want to take the deck that has the higher variance so that it can work in my side. I, I'm less interested in variance if I think I'm a better player. But as soon as I think that we're even, I'm very interested in variance because I need something <laughs> to break that parity. And I certainly want it if I think you're better than me. So situationally, if this data is from premier drafts, I can absolutely see why these two cards are raising. Whereas sure. I, my guess is if you looked at traditional draft, which is where I spend most of my time, that this is not really a pairing that you would see much in Rakdos uh, being very successful. That is very interesting. This is why I'm glad I had you on. This is a new perspective. I am uh, out for the, the vanity of the number one spot. And so now we get to have a real conversation about magic uh, online or magic arena economy and uh how these two kind of draft formats differ i now i have to pull the data i'm going to tweet out uh the difference in uh card rankings for each different traditional versus premiere uh so follow at, at fake jake brown on twitter uh, if you're listening to this on december 21st all right and then our final up card this is a 
archetype I don't have a ton of experience in, which is Celestia. And Rural Recruit uh, is now gaining almost 9% over where it started uh, to become one of the best commons. According to the data, it's outperforming Traveling Minister and Kindly Ancestor right now. I'm not necessarily saying you need to pick it over any of those cards, but what am I missing about Celestia that makes you think uh, that Rural Recruit is that good? Okay, so here's the thing to understand about Celestia. All of the training cards suck, (laughs) except for this one. Okay. Because all of them are way too small if you're behind, whereas there's cases where somebody's killing you with a 2-1 and a 4-3, and you can play Rural Recruit and stabilize. And if you happen to be ahead, cool. You just, you know, basically played your own 4-2 that's spread out, and it's going to work with what you're doing. So I found myself playing the pig club a lot more than I expected I would. Just because there's so many places you can just trade off the 3-1 and then have the 1-1 still left over to do stuff. Whereas with all of the other training cards, if you're behind even slightly and you play them, you're just going to lose because they're they're just so understated. So that's that's the secret of Rural Recruit is that it's actually okay when you're behind. I, I really buy that because there have been so many times where I've played Rural Recruit and even if it's not trading up, which sometimes that, you know, it does, you trade that token up, but it just makes attacks really wonky sometimes for your opponents because they're like, oh, well, do I really want to lose this to a 3-1 or have them crack back if I'm not making efficient attacks? It really messes with the board a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So it, it it's some pig. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our five down. Uh, We'll start at number five in Azorius, where Ceremonial Knife is down three consecutive weeks. It's now sitting at 51.7% game in hand win rate, the lowest it has been since week one. I know that Knife has been a fairly controversial card. I've been down on Knife for a while, but I don't know where you stand. Where, Where are we at in Knife, especially Azorius, which is an archetype that can struggle to generate blood. Yeah, uh, so I was initially on the against knife plan. I I think it got a bit over. Oh, don't do this to me. Are you a knife truther now? (laughs) Well, it's interesting because I I started out thinking this is not particularly good because it's so expensive to equip. And then I had so many people telling me it was good and drafters that I respected telling me it was good. So I tried it out and I found that you can find some places to use it. But I think we've gotten to the point where most people think you just put it in every deck and are happy about it. And that's not the case. You need to have a deck that doesn't have a late game plan. And I've seen some blue white flyers decks that are that deck where there's, you know, one five drop in there and that's the deck. That's it. And they really need to just chew through every land they draw after the fifth one or they're kind of going to die. And I think that's the Azorius deck that wants this. But if you're playing like three fives and two sixes, you just, you're not going to have time to equip this and get any value out of it. So I, I think that's where it kind of gets into trouble for me. Okay. I, and we uh, were talking about last week that Orzov is a deck that tends to really want this as well. Again, um, has kind of a longer, grindier game plan. So uh, interesting. All right. We will uh, tuck that away and uh, get back to it when we clear out the notebook next week. Number four uh, is going to be Bloody Betrayal in Is It? Uh, and this is usually a card that the data overrates because people tend to cast it when they're way ahead in a game and are trying to win, or people are bad at magic, and the latter tends to be very underrepresented on 17lands.com. So 
I've also heard Sam Black talk about this. Is it, you know, steal and exploit deck? Sam's somebody that I respect a ton. So I was kind of taken aback when I saw Bloody uh, Bloody Betrayal drop to its lowest number in five weeks at 54.2%. Are you doing the steal and exploit deck? Is this more of like a corner case where if all the cards fall into your lap, it's fine to play it, but it's not something actively worth pursuing? So the thing you have to understand is if you can win with a ham sandwich, <laughs> ham sandwiches start to look pretty good. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't surprise me that if Sam is talking about this card being good and he can pull it off, that other people are then going to start valuing, valuing the card higher, not winning with it and not understanding why. Right. And I think that's probably what we've got here is that there are some cool combos you can do with it. I have not managed to pull that together because I won't pick them high enough. But if I'm in a scenario where the stuff's wheeling and I've got a bunch of exploit, hell yeah, I want to do this. It looks cool. Um, yeah. But I, I don't think this is something you should be gunning for. So it doesn't surprise me that more people are taking it and trying to pull it off. And that's pulling that number down. Uh, and there I would agree go. that this one's going to be skewed because you're only going to have 17 lands users playing it generally when they should be, which is not very often. Right. Yeah, I'll also say, I think Lord Tupperware mentioned this in their weekly newsletter that went out to a bunch of Channel Fireball people. So they're reading it. You know, you've got people that are going, oh, I want to try the thing I read in the newsletter. And ultimately, I, I've only had success with this when I'm getting bloody betrayals you know, 14th, you know, and later. <laughs> and then you just kind of wind up with some stitch scobs and you're like, sure, you know, this, I get this for free. I might as well try it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm cool. right there with you. All right. Uh, our number three in Orzov, persistent specimen is down to a sad 46.9% win rate. This is a card that's dropped every week. I don't, are, why are people doing this? They're overvaluing being able to get it back from the graveyard, but really the only thing this card is here for is very exploit-heavy decks. If you are not deep in blue-black exploit, you don't want this, so just yeah. pass it. I think people are, are misconstruing that, oh, I'm in Orzov and I'm going to be playing these long, long games where I need value and thinking that a 1-1 one, one that you can recur represents a lot of value. Yeah, it's just it, it just doesn't matter. That's not enough value. All right, not worth a card. You heard it here. Uh, number two in Rakdos, we have Sure Strike. Now, this one was surprising to me. It's down to 47.9%. This is two full percentage points worse than Daybreak Combatants. And this also represents a four week downtrend for Sure Strike. Sure Strike seems like a fine combat trick. I don't, I don't necessarily see why you would uh, be having issues with it. I especially love using it in a deck where you're playing. Falconrath Celebrants, Blood Craze Socialite. Maybe you're getting a nice little two for one every once in a while. And tell me why I'm wrong. <laughs> okay, you're not You're not wrong. Sure Strike is fine. But yeah. we're deep enough into the format that the people who don't know how to play around combat tricks have stopped playing. So you you're not, you may be able to get a lot of people with a Sure Strike, but you ain't getting me with a Sure Strike. <laughs> like if you attack in with obvious bad blocks for me, I've got a removal spell in hand. I'm not just jamming my creatures in front. I'll wait till the next turn and leave mana up for my removal. And then I'll get you with it. And all of the people that would fall into that have probably stopped playing a month or two into a draft format. So I would have guessed that this would happen with a lot of the combat tricks as you go through. Sure. 
And I want to note, too, that when we're talking, you know, about risers in this same pairing, we had Keswick Flame Breather and Ancestral Anger. I'll also note that Wedding self, uh, wedding Invitation, a card which I've been really high on from from Jump, is now at a 60% win rate. I mean, it, I, it seems like can-tripping things tend to just be playing out really well in Rakdos, especially when you have really great ways in Blood Tokens to mitigate potential flood. You, you're just really churning through to get to what you want. Uh, what, have, are you up higher on Wedding Invitation? It seems like everybody's just like, I'm fine if I get one, but I don't need a Wedding Invitation. I've never resolved one. <gasps> I, I think I've put one in the deck once. Okay. And it, it, it's again, just because of where I play, if I'm playing premier draft and I really need to hit top 1200 or number one, I'm going to start playing wedding invitations. Cause it's, it's something that's linear and difficult to interact with. Whereas once I'm in best of three, I'll see people play it and be like, okay, I need to be aware of this for game two and three that they're going to have, you know, some amount of unblockable damage. And I can start valuing like 10 life being the, the line instead of five life or three life. And all of a sudden it's not going to get me anymore. So it just depends on how and where you play, but I do think that's a best of one card. All right, I love it. And then at number one, let's talk Simic. Uh, we have Witch's Web and Massive Might, both hitting three-week lows with Massive Might falling to like Fear of Death and Skywarp Scob territory, where we're talking about a sub-50% game in hand win rate. What's up with combat tricks in Simic? Are you... Not interested in them? Are is this just noise? What are we what What are we to take away from this trend of combat tricks really tanking here? I, I do still think part of it is that again, people who were going to get got by combat tricks have stopped playing. But another big one is Simic just never really wanted them anyway. Okay. Uh, sometimes you have to play a witch's web for some form of interaction, but that deck just wants 18 creatures and two mulches and no interaction. We're going to kill you with a bunch of spider tokens. We're going to mill you out with the Emrakul seagulls. Like we've got plans <laughs> for winning that are just ignoring what you're doing. So this is a color pair where like, if I have a fear of death and a wolf strike, that's cool. If I don't, that's cool too. Like I've played these decks with literal zero interaction at all, just all creatures and mulches and still manage to win with them. I, I, what about Cradle? Are, are you tossing a Cradle in there or Cradle kind of falls into that same category? Sure, you can play one if you want to, but yeah. so few of your cards are must protect. Like there's a lot of redundancy in that deck, especially if you can get like two of the spiders and one of the uh, seagulls. I can't remember the name of it. The six mana four, four that mills when it attacks. Yeah. Uh, if I can just get one of those, I, like I'm fine. Go ahead, kill it. I'll get it back later. It's no rush. And I've probably got two retrieves in the deck too, because nobody else wants them. So sure, kill my spiders. I'll get them later. I love it. All right. That covers all of our downs. Uh, we'll clear out the notebook in just a moment. But Samuel, thank you so much for joining me. Where can people find you? Uh what where what's going on with you? Talk about <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. What's up with me is uh, I like to stream mostly best of three draft. I did play some sealed today. Occasionally I dip into best of one and constructed, but you can check me out at twitch.tv slash simulin, S-E-M-U-L-I-N. And you'll normally find me playing some version of limited there. Congrats on getting there on the decathlon too. That was a lot of fun to watch, uh, watch the stream today. I, I always have just the best time hanging out and you have a really good group in chat too. And I, I appreciate it because I'm not somebody who swears. And so it's a, a safe place to be, you know, uh, a PG adult. 
<laughs> yeah, I had this was a long time ago at a PTQ. I'm waiting for the top eight to fire. And this like eight year old kid comes up and says, I enjoy watching my video, your videos with my dad. And he points to his dad standing over there and was like, will you sign this card? And I'm like, I'm never cursing in my videos or on stream again. Oh, I, I want this kid and, you know, any father and son, mother and daughter, whatever. I want them to feel comfortable with my content. I love that. Well, hey, um, best of luck tomorrow in the Sweatsuit Invitational. If anybody's listening to this on the day it comes out, December 21st, uh, you can catch Samuel and I both playing the Sweatsuit Invitational this evening uh, starting at five, 7 o'clock Eastern. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good All luck right. to you too, man. All right, now to clear out that notebook, I said to consider running Nurturing Presence in Boros. This week it fell down 11%. I said dump repository or suppository scub, as Semyon would say, and it falls for five straight weeks. So, hey, ding. But Alchemist Retrieval also holds its value. So double ding. We nailed it on Azorius. I said play Blood Craze Socialite and Demir. As we said, it's at a five-week high. I said Gift of Fangs was bad in Golgari, and it is down for the fourth straight week. I said Blood Petal Celebrant was down in Is It. It's back to its second highest win rate. Womp womp. And I said Beware of Chill of the Grave in Demir. It was the fourth best common last week. So overall, I went 7 out of 10. Yikes. If you want to watch the show, you can. It's on YouTube. You can see the video version, Sam and me hanging out in our cool onesies. You can also listen to us on any major podcast platform. And you can see it live sometimes on Twitch. But man, is it painful to produce a live podcast on Twitch. As for me, I'm Fake Jake Brown on any of your favorite social platforms. You can watch me at twitch.tv slash Cardboard because why not give everything a different name? Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Cardboard's Limited Jamboree is written, edited, and produced by Jake Brown with music by Liquid. Send all inquiries to jake at unclecardboard.com and be good to each other.